Hello, welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about roguelite deck builders. Uh, but before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast? Well, it's pretty simple. On this podcast, we talk about games. And a certain game mode that I have played an obscene number of hours in is the dungeon run adventures in Hearthstone, which are these single-player adventures where... You know, you're, like, you're progressing through boss fights, you're picking up cards, putting them in your deck, etc. Um, which is pretty similar to another very popular indie game called Slay the Spire, which came out a couple of years ago, but just released on uh, mobile. And so I guess the question is, why, well, like, where does the appeal for these games come from? Yeah, and um, just to, to put it in perspective, I just picked up the mobile version of Slay the Spire's uh, first time I've, I've played, but I have played the, the, the Hearthstone uh, version of this as well and they're always like like super compelling i think that like so the spire has a little bit of a leg up on hearthstone and that that is the entire game rather than kind of like trying to retrofit it on top of the you know the competitive thing from uh hearthstone but they've also had versions of this um i think they had a version of it in uh an mtg arena i think it might have been also like a canned version of uh of like Commander or something in the beta. I haven't played I that in a while. I also think Hearthstone has a certain advantage in the sense that because it is adjacent to the competitive mode, it has something to compare itself to. Like, right. and we can get we can get into that in a more in more specific detail. But like that definitely does create some interesting um, sort of contrasting factors because I think there are whole game systems um, that is, that exist in Hearthstone that would probably not exist in a like a a more straightforward kind of like roguelike deck builder system. Um, and I bet that those systems, I've never played Slay, Slay the Spire. I bet that those systems are probably there in Slay the Spire. Yeah. So there, there's some, there's some cool, like, so the big thing that Slay the Spire thing has going for it in terms of, not only in terms of like, you know, being dedicated to it, but it's got like, like in Hearthstone, it's kind of like play matches one after another and then add packs in between, which is, a, a good version of that but so the spire has like a map and it has like you can pick like you can roughly pick your way up the the the, the spire essentially and you know take different encounters and change them slightly and like target different things and there's a couple more mechanics built around it like um like there are relics and potions and things that are kind of like temporary and just a, like you would expect slightly more fleshed out um yeah uh, uh, and but you know similar like kind of like you can get into wacky like 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 roguelikes um, in general you kind of get these where you're like aiming towards like a wacky build that'll like totally like you know uh, uh, maybe tr trivialize is, is the wrong one. maybe it is like there, there are runs of every roguelike where you're, you're you're kind of pointing at you manage to trivialize the run which can be super satisfying. Um, um, hell, even you even get that in Torghast sometimes, right? But uh, yeah, um, but I, I feel like I feel like with with the deck builders, and I think this might be the the key to it is it's harder to get to like a truly trivializing position, but it's easier to kind of get in the realm of it without like being totally screwed um, by uh, uh, totally screwed by the RNG, right? If that if if does that make sense to you? Yeah, no, I, that definitely makes sense to me. And I think this is one of the weird things that's interesting about Hearthstone um, and why Dungeon Run was very appealing for me for so long. Um, because, like, there's always a fantasy in any of these kinds of games, right? Like, when you're playing Magic the Gathering, when you're playing Hearthstone, right? Like, any of these kind of competitive games. 
where you look at a couple of cards that you recognize as synergy and you're just like, oh, that's so cool. You know, like, wouldn't it be so sweet if I did this and this and this, right? Um, but, like, that stuff sometimes just doesn't materialize in PvP play, right? Like, the, clum the combo is too clunky. It's an aggro meta and this is a value deck. It's a value deck that gets outvalued by other decks, right? Or... You know, um, it's a it's a weapon meta, and so people are running a lot of weapon hate, and you're never going to be able to get this thing off or whatever, right? Like, you you you're for for every cool synergy that you run into, you also have that chance of running into the wall of the meta, essentially, right? But in a single player dungeon run mode, you get to just go buck wild, and so there's something that's really satisfying about like, oh, I want to play elemental shaman, but elemental shaman fucking sucks and would just get dumpstered on ladder. So I go into I go into dungeon run mode and now I'm in shaman and I'm picking up these elemental cards and I get to kind of like play the fantasy that like those cards and their synergies are um I don't know, I want to say sort of like offering, you know? Yeah. And that feels great. Like that feels like so cool and so fun. Um when like when those builds uh do come together. Not only that, but like you can make like the is permissible to allow those builds to be like more attainable right like there are special dungeon run only mode cards um and they can be broken in a way that would be like unfun to play against if you could get that to, to work against another player right yep, like absolutely. like being able to absolutely like smash down on the dom uh, on the dungeon run and just like totally like you know skull fuck the the uh your your uh your dungeon run is totally permissible in a way that you 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 can't allow people to do on the ladder otherwise you know, it becomes, like, either rocket taggy or just unfun to play against, you know, dominant strategy, that kind of thing. Yeah, um, and it's also something of, about, like, um, you know, one of, the, one of the things that I mentioned is, like, the aggro meta value meta sort of thing, right? Like, that's something that really kicks in in Dungeon Run, I've, I've felt, where, like, you actually do need to have a, a, a good understanding of, like, the fundamentals of how card games work in terms of, like, tempo and in terms of value. Because, like... Some of your games will go to fatigue and you will get outvalued by an opponent because the opponents are these AIs with very well-crafted decks to, like, kind of exploit certain things. But you can also really get blitzed down by those opponents sometimes. So, like, you have to be very careful about where you're building your, you know, like, where you're building your deck, where you're finding your value that's going to allow you to go into the long game, but, like, also survive those, like, those early turns. Um, and that's honestly something that's, like, ended a ton of my dungeon runs before. Right, like I'm picking up the right value cards, but I'm not picking up the right tempo cards. So I, I, you know, I mulligan a full hand of like nine cost minions that are just like sitting there and doing absolutely nothing. Right, um, <clears throat> or you know the opposite, where you know I have played all of my Murlocs in this Murloc deck, and I'm just like top decking every turn, and I'm watching the opponents like, you know, uh, board clears completely devastate me turn a, turn after turn. Yeah, no, and and I, I get that too, cause like, so this is the thing that I think that's interesting about these types of games is I often find that like the toughest part of the of the run, and this actually applies to Torghast too, um, which is you know a little bit outside of the, this episode directly, but like the toughest part of the run is like, like the second or third kind of like you know like the like the, the early middle if that makes sense. You don't have enough cards that you've probably put together like a very solid like strategy. Um, but and like you do, and you know you've scaled up in power that like you know, if you want to make plays for the long run you have to kind of like gamble a little bit about things you'll get down the road and you haven't quite quite found all the pieces yet but the, the stuff is power 
um, has powered up enough up enough that, that you know they can beat like you know your your very basic kind of level level one cards that everything like you know the early levels have to be easy because no one has anything yet right like no 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 run has a good has anything good yet so um, you find yeah, you find that, is definitely, that is definitely a big pain pain point I feel like I also feel like a big pain point is um, uh, right when. I'm about to get something big. So dungeon run, these are the even decks, right? So every every two or like after every after every fight, you get a treasure or whatever. But like the enemies scale up over over the course. Of, it's it's typically eight, right? Over the course of eight, and you get the you get the treasures on. Oh, I guess I'm talking about the odd decks, right? You get the treasures on the odd ones. So one, three, and five, and seven are much harder. It feels like than two four eight six and eight because on two four six and eight i've just gotten a treasure and made my deck that much more powerful um whereas in uh it, on on the other ones i don't have that same kind of spike of power in in that same way also later in the run you can really dilute your deck with bad shit sometimes um like i find that a lot of the time because so so the way it works in, in dungeon run is you start with ten cards and you add three per turn plus one treasure. So at the end of the run you're gonna have you know an, uh, you're gonna have like a forty four card deck, right? The the odds of drawing what you want to draw in a forty four card deck are a lot worse than in a twenty card deck. And so like sometimes you can really hose yourself because you're getting into those sort of like late game turns and you just don't have the sort of um, you don't have the the engine to draw into the stuff that you are looking for deeper into your like deeper into your deck and you can kind of flounder for that reason same thing is actually very true in the spire there's actually um a couple of mechanics to remove cards from your deck if you want to there's also other reasons to do that too like you can like take on bad cards like they're called curses and you usually can't pull them out of your hand and they like have various bad effects but it's it's uh uh you know like i like i said it's it's got slightly more advanced systems than than the hearthstone one does because it's, it's totally built around it but like it's definitely true right like you know mm. You get too far down. You've got like like uh, the spire decks can like vary, right? Like there's essentially each deck starts out with five basic attacks, five basic blocks, and like a couple of specialized cards per character. There's like four different characters, um, uh, and they all work very differently, which is I think a, a huge strength of the system. Um, but like towards the end of a run, if you're just kind of like pulling things like willy nilly, you will have like an incoherent deck and not be able to like find the stuff you need for it um uh and it'll, it'll it'll be tough but you know uh it's it's there's just so something something i think i really appreciate about the spire with the hearthstone is just like so much depth that like gets you know can get screwed by randomness but like it's 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 got a lot more kind of like edges to kind of like push against than uh than hearthstone does just because there's such a, such a larger variety of mechanics like mm -hmm. each, there's four characters, and each one has like two or three significant playstyles that you can like push toward mechanics that are like they're good at that you can push towards, um, and so like I like one of my early runs with the it's called the character called Defect. He's like a robot, and he his unique thing is he has like orbs that float around him that do things passively at the end of the turns, and if you like push if you fill up your orb slots and push one out it like does a big thing so like the basic one is like electricity and at the end of your turn it'll do three damage to an enemy and if you push it out you'll do um eight damage to a random enemy i had a run where i basically like got a card that would like super boost my what is effectively the equivalent of mana it's called energy um it will super boost it to like a ludicrous number 
and then um, another card that will like spend all of your mana and just generate those lightning orbs for each one. So it's like if I got that combo in hand, it'd be like energy. Uh, it's called Tempest, and just like waiting there for fifteen minutes while like the orb cycle and like just devastate the enemies. So like, and that's like you know one very small aspect of of the uh, of the defect, right? Like you can also there's like one that builds there's an orb that builds up armor. There's like strategies around like using multiple types of orbs. Um, ones around like searching for and uh, replaying a couple different cards. Um, it's uh, it's a like I said it's a it's, it's a very very interesting game. I think that I think the variety is key into like playing it over and over and over again, right? Like I found yeah. like you you you've you've played them uh, you've you've played the dungeons I think much more than I have. Right? I usually kind of beat it once and and I'm pretty done with it. But um, there's just like so I feel like there's a similar amount of like difference there, right? Like um, I, don't, I don't think <coughs> yeah. Part of it is that one it's using wild, right? <coughs> Excuse me. So, it's not pulling for it's it's pulling from a card pool of thousands of cards at that point. Probably like fifteen hundred cards for you know some of the early sets, and then every every Hearthstone set adds another hundred thirty five. So, you know we're probably at like two thousand by more recent standards, which I think is really neat and really cool. Um, and uh, and then also the classes, right? Doing dungeon run with nine different classes uh, is just means that you you just have a lot of inherent variety because choosing a paladin is going to make your run different than choosing uh, like choosing a priest, obviously. Um, though some of them have had fewer. So, for instance, in um, in the monster hunt dungeon run, there's only four classes. In the old doom dungeon run, there's only four classes as well. But the four classes are doubled classes, right? So it's like warrior hunter, you know. Um, but I do think that there's a, there is a lot of like uh, there, there is a lot of like variety to some of those things just because of how one the hero powers work because in a lot of the like in the later dungeon runs you can change your hero power um, to like at the at the start of the game you choose one hero power or another sort of thing um, and then also what your starting deck looks like right like are you going to start with these ten cards or those ten cards or you know like where that kind of like play style comes from where in Torghast I feel like Torghast is a little suffocated almost by build variety like I feel like I have a lot of build variety as an arms warrior I can go for this execute build I can go for uh, like an AOE like a cooldowns build where I'm like really pumping my cooldowns I can go for a whirlwind build where every mortal strike is casting whirlwind um, it feels like a lot of other classes don't have that kind of uh, don't have that kind of option um, based on the way that I talk to people. Like, when I talk to, you know, a friend of mine who plays Death Knight, he is always looking for one power, and his, like, run is dependent on whether or not he gets that. Um, obviously, I haven't played Death Knight, so I can't, like, speak to that, you know, inherently, right? But, like, if the if the success or failure of your entire run is built off of getting one, you know, like, one power, that's a, that's a pretty dire circumstance to be in. Yeah, and, and part, of, part of that with Torghast is, again... That it's 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 you know it's it's a secondary system right like yeah um the classes are coming from like relatively set positions but I, I think I think it's a useful comparison right you've played a lot of um uh, I'm gonna you're you're gonna hate me I can't remember the name of uh, your company's roguelite uh, oh uh, gone viral gone viral yes and I've played I played a, a bit of that I've also played a ton of Enter the Gungeon um and other kind of and you know a handful of other roguelikes uh, like um. There's a side-scrolling shooty one that I, that, that escapes me, um, but I played a ton of these different games, and something that the uh, 
the 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 regular roguelikes I think have that's as a flaw is it's hard to smooth out the curve, right? Like there are rolls there are runs of Gungeon where like I'm you know, I just can't like within like if I don't get like something decent within like the first two floors, it's like, well, this is gonna be tough, right? And like you can really sink a run that way. This is especially true of like say the original rogue where things were like very, very random and was super luck based. Um yeah, Fail in the chat, by the way, points out that I think it's more to do with how much you like a set of powers over whether or not there is more than one to pick from. Like, only one build is OP DPS where others are more versatile, and as a player, I might prefer to just play the build, the damage build over the others. I do think that that's very fair, right? Like, I mix and match all the time as an arms rear just because I'm happy to, you know, I'm happy to do any of those, right? I, I just kind of want variety. I, I don't want to be, you know drinking the same cup of coffee every day basically um but i definitely would get that sense that like if you're the kind of person who who wants to clear torgas as quickly as possible maybe you just like laser into your one you know you're gonna do the touch of death build every time because you know it works and it's sensible shoes and i think that that's you know that's perfectly fair yeah I, yeah and part of that like i don't think that part of it is that um, is that Torghast isn't, one, particularly hard, and two, doesn't have a lot of those same kind of mechanics I think all, like, that roguelikes in general um, have, right? Like, a lot of roguelikes depend on having a relatively limited health pool um, that's kind of consistent and, like, ways to avoid damage as a thing, whereas, like, the WoW mechanics just don't support a lot of that, right? Like, you, know, you can avoid some stuff, and you can do, like, your stuns, right? And, like, you know, they try and emulate that with some of the trap stuff. But, like, at the end of the day, you still have your ability to heal yourself. You still have the ability to kind of, like, eat food and, like, top up between each fight. Um, and so the the general challenge for just doesn't match up as well with, with kind of the WoW core systems. And so it's it's, yeah. it's tougher to, to pull off and tougher to build in variety that would be meaningfully different right like there yeah, also i think wow's core gameplay surrounding rotations means that there's only like so much variety that you can possibly create right? yeah in god viral you know i can have runs which are attack speed focused melee i could have range runs where i'm trying to do range stuff i could have you know wallop runs i can have all these different sorts of runs because like the core functionality of my character can change dramatically, right? Essentially, walking into God Viral, I don't have a class, and I define my class through the powers that I'm picking up. So I would, you know, kind of be like warrior, doing like warrior stuff, maybe if I'm picking up good armor and weapons, but I'm doing mage stuff if I'm picking up a rocket launcher, right? Sort of to, to, to analogize those, if that makes sense. In, in Torghast, I'm never walking into Torghast on Bairn and ending up as range DPS or ending up as a tank, you know what I mean? Like, I'm walking in as the thing that I am, and I have to, you know, like, I have to be confined by that, the, like, that core. And I do think that, like, like I said, that there are ways to spice that up, but, like, at the end of the day, I'm describing three builds when I say, here's one build, it's the Execute build, here's another build, it is the Bladestorm build, here's a third build, it's the Whirlwind build. That's it, basically, right? Like, there's just not a lot else that you can do there because at the end of the day you know um wow's moment to moment mechanics are going to be about hitting buttons like fists of fury and mortal strike um over you know uh over basically anything else in the game which is interesting to bring it back to like hearthstone right because that's not the case for the classes in hearthstone right like classes in hearthstone tend to have more abstract strengths and weaknesses so 
uh, armoring up and getting huge health pools is a strength of warrior that few other classes have. But like the mechanics to get there are very different, right? Like not every not every class is and like or like not every card is going to be like a like an armor card. And if I want to go in armor build, I can go those I can get there in radically different ways each time, right? Or if I want to go Murloc Shaman, I can go Murloc Shaman Shaman with a bunch of different kinds of Murlocs because there's 50 of them, right? Rather than just my one mortal strike, which is going to always be there basically. Do you the, know what I mean? Yeah, no, absolutely. I was going to say like to, to like this I think positions the card, the 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 roguelike deck is kind of like a midway between like Torghast, which I think is like very much kind of on the determinative end, and like there's like mm. a few like not a lot of choices because like most of the bases like n like you know ninety percent of what you, what you have is like your character that you're bringing, which is like a non not insubstantial investment from a totally different game essentially, right? Versus something like Gun Viral or Into the Gungeon, where there's actually not a ton of places to make meaningful choices right like it's a lot of it's just based on what drops there's a couple places in, in each game but a lot of it's just kind of like you know what the run happens to give you whereas these deck builder games um like there's a little like both slay the spire and hearthstone have a little bit that you choose going into it you choose like rough class same thing as the spire um but because like the game absolutely wouldn't work if it just threw absolutely random stuff at you like slay the spire you choose one of three cards after every every fight there's a lot more fights than there are in hearthstone um uh, hearthstone is like you pick a pack of like three cards after every fight right yeah it is yeah. one bucket of like it's like a pack of three cards but it's one of three of those right so you yeah. essentially see nine nine cards and you get to choose and, and they're not yeah. random buckets, right? They're like themed buckets generally, right? Yeah, and so the, yeah, so the buckets will be like dragons, right? Yeah. And the buckets also key off of the cards that are already in your deck. Or taxi, it's not quite true. It keys off of the buckets you have previously chosen, right? So if on turn one you choose dragons, your turn two choice will have dragons more often than it will have whatever elements. Random, right? yeah, yeah. Um, so it does allow you to kind of create like like themed stuff something i learned you know and this is not very well telegraphed or anything like that but like something i learned pretty quickly is that like that first choice matters a lot and there were times where i would take a worse bucket but that is in a better sort of like class of buckets because i didn't want to take something that i knew was going to kind of like gum up my choices for the rest of the run um so for instance there are very good mate there was like these um these mage spells called uh, or there was a mage bucket called spell slingers, right? Which is like cheap, effective spells like arcane explosion, two mana, do one damage to everything, right? Frostbolt, two mana, three damage to a minion, freeze it, right? Those spells are really good and they're great, but they are not like a cornerstone of your deck, right? And so a lot of the times I would, you know, like I would much rather have a bucket of, of you know, frostbolt, arcane explosion, and whatever else. To, to have in my deck just because those are good all-around cards that will do sensible things that I need to do I need to have removal in the deck I need to have AoE in the deck or whatever um, but on that first choice I would rather ch choose something that kind of sets a better pace for myself if that makes sense like elementals or like secrets for instance um, that I, that's a real core that you can actually build the deck around um, which I think was was like a really interesting piece of the design of Dungeon Run, and probably what makes it... I mean, I honestly think that makes it a little bit more robust than something like Gone Viral or, or Enter the Gungeon, right? Like, some of the other, like, yeah. true roguelikes I play, 
because of the nature of the and that's just about drawing cards from a deck do you know what i mean yeah um, yeah yeah and you are it, essentially building a more complete uh mechanical core in a roguelike deck builder than you are in an action roguelike yeah. because in an action roguelike you still have you know the bedrock of your game still includes moving around in the 3d space and like shooting stuff right you you get to make more choices when when the deck is just so such a huge percentage of what you're doing yeah no absolutely right like the the core of gone viral and and uh enter the gungeon are like like you can get core mastery over the movement mechanics and you know theoretically win the game with like you know no upgrades at all and like base mechanics and like being being good um mm -hmm. whereas like there's just like you you can't be good at it like being good at a deck builder game is building the or you know the deck builder game is building the deck in some regard yeah. right so like um you can't outscale you know static numbers in, in 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 a lot of ways um that is absolutely true i really yeah i really think that that is uh that that is fair and i actually think the way that, and i like that way of thinking about it too right like um which isn't a ding on any of these action roguelikes yeah. i think that they're, they're, all they're different games obviously. yeah yeah um but it does it really does put into perspective the kinds of choices that i'm making in the roguelite deck builders compared to the choices that i'm making in sort of the action games right um like i actually, i like the choices that i'm offered in god of hyrule for you know like what to buy at the shop or for instance um you know just even the the finding the vault you have two mutations and you have to make the choice about which one's better a lot of the times those are really interesting choices but the hearthstone version of that is just fundamentally more complex yeah because um, even stuff like man like i get i got worried about choices i was making about gumming down my deck um with cards that are in like like that are like incorrectly costed right because you can like screw your curve over right this is one of the big things about dragons the dragon bucket includes both cards that are powerful late game payoff dragons that have a lot of value and early game cards that care about dragons that are tempo focused right so an example of that might be um alex draws his champion it's a two three for three or two three four two um but it gets plus one attack charge if you have uh, a dragon in your hand right that's an amazing tempo card being able to put down a three three with charge on two is huge and it's like the kind of tempo that you need in a dragon deck in order to like you know bring the bring that home in order to survive those early game terms so that you can just like slam anixia nose dormu every turn or whatever else um but the problem is is that alex Strauss's champion is in the exact same bucket as the Norse Dormus and Alexstrasza's. And so there are times when you are looking at a dragon bucket that should be good for your deck, but all you know, but you know that you're just going to fill your deck with top end. Or you're filling deck with conditional shit, like Alexstrasza's champion, without having the dragons to then, like, support it. And that's just, like, a such a it's such a complex set of decisions to be making because you're all you're making decisions about like okay well what percentage of my deck are dragons now what's my likelihood of drawing dragons when i need to have a dragon in my hand and hold it so that on turn two i can have alex draws his champion out and charging right like all of those kinds of things um are just so much more elaborate i guess i would say and complicated compared to other like the choices that i'm making in other roguelikes yeah or, you know, in a lot of ways, the choice you're making is something like Torghast, right? Like, mm -hmm. um, which is, you know, has some choice, but, like, I don't know. I hate to keep harping on Torghast, but, like, it's, it's also one of those things where, like, 
if you're doing Torghast run solo, there's like a whole class of powers that aren't like particularly useful, uh, which is how That's I usually play. That's huge for Rogue. Yeah, in Rogue, it's really frustrating because in Torghast, there's a bunch of powers that are keyed off of Vanish, which is when you just, boom, immediately enter stealth, right? But the problem is, is that if you Vanish and you're the only person in combat, they all reset. So you can't like be in the boss fight and then Vanish and do tr cool Vanish tricks because you just fucking reset the boss. Um, and that kind of stuff like sucks, obviously. Yeah, but yeah, it, it, it's interesting because because Torghast, Torghast is is a uh... yeah the victory rush power for arms warrior is a big example of that because in a in a in a solo run, victory rush procs when you kill a guy. Um, this is fail in the chat by the way. Victory yeah. rush procs when you kill a guy, right? Uh, but you have to deal the killing blow. So. There's a power that says every time you use Victory Rush, you get five Phantasma. When you're solo, you are killing everything. Nobody is going to kill anything except for you. But if you're in a group of five people, your Victory Rush procs are so much less, you know, uh, common. And that sucks. Yeah, no, I'm. that would make sense for, like, like my Death Touch build would potentially have similar problems. Although, usually not because um, Death Touch has enough damage that you can probably take the kill out from under some... Like, if I was with you and you took the victory rush power and I was doing a death touch build it'd be like lol lol and I'd be like death touching everything yeah. out from under you <laughs> that's pretty funny yeah and I also think Torghast is hampered because you technically have to be able to go into Torghast with all three specs like or sorry to put this a better way you aren't locked to your spec when you enter Torghast so you can't make intricate powers that are based off of spec mechanics because every power has to have an, like a a convenient alternate use in a different spec so for instance in the one in the mortal strike ability where it's like your mortal strike also casts whirlwind whirlwind is a is a is a power that all warriors have right um and in fury that's rampage cast whirlwind and in and in prot it's shield slam cast whirlwind so like you can't make a power that like I don't know what what's like a really for like for like Woodwalker for instance you know you're you're getting the mastery by doing like the rhythm game thing or whatever yeah. you couldn't really make a power that keys into that because that's specific to Woodwalker obviously fist weavers and brewmasters aren't doing you know like those those mechanics and conversely if I'm if I'm making a power for brewmaster I can't make a power that is just cool shit your stagger does because Woodwalker and Mistweaver don't have access to stagger. Yeah, no, I think there's a couple of powers to do stuff with brews, and Windwalkers have, like, one brew, and so it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think, like, you know, the other thing that I think is, like, I think Torghast, at least for, for Night Fae, the Covenant powers are not very good, um, but, you know, uh, or, I mean, the ones that are specific to, like, the Feline Stop powers are pretty good, but, like, the... The, like the soul shape powers. Oh, like what soul shape does? Yeah, yeah. this was me and Fleshcraft for a long time. There was the Torghast power, which was basically the worst power ever. Fleshcraft used to scale based on the the corpse that you were Fleshcrafting on, right? You kill a powerful guy, you Fleshcraft on his corpse, you get a bigger shield than if you Fleshcraft on nothing. And there was a power that said um, Maw Rats count as bosses, essentially, uh, for the sake of Fleshcraft. And I was just like, what a worthless power right like yeah like that's i yeah that that makes that makes sense because like i mean i feel like all the 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 marat powers are like kind of like iffy at best because like they're like okay yeah. in the general but like the only thing you care about is is that end fight right like 
Uh, yeah, I think that's a huge problem of Torghast, is that when you get to a certain point in Torghast, the only thing that's threatening is the final boss, and so everything you pick up that doesn't interact with the final boss really isn't super useful. Yeah, so, like, a mob rat powers are a beginner's trap. That's kind of true, right? Like, if you can't clear the trash in Torghast, I think it's just much harder for you to clear the final boss. Though I will say that there, I have had trouble sometimes um, because some powers I find... Uh, so, for instance, the execute build on arms um, can actually be a trap a little bit because most of, like, the floors on Torghast are asking you to do AoE damage, and the execute thing is very single-target focused. Um, so there have been times when I got, like no defensive powers and i was running the execute build um and i was actually getting kind of in like hairy positions just because i couldn't it was a waste of my time to whirlwind my whirlwind stuff wasn't doing to do aoe stuff that wasn't doing enough damage um but like sitting there and single targeting down each individual mob was like kind of a dangerous like proposition so the the bosses were easy but like actually getting through a group or like having a group of two you know like that's the kind of stuff that was that was hard but even then like part of it is that like that was maybe two or three weeks after Torghast came out and i was pushing layer eight before it was nerfed and i was under geared for that content and so it's like uh, uh, now you know like i beat all of the Torghast levels by 25 item levels so i'm pretty sure i could take no powers and just completely steamroll a lot of the time yeah, no, I I feel like I feel like we could take like I feel like a team could definitely do that. Like Soul is a little bit tougher just because like they do scale up a bit. Um, but like yeah, like you know the Touch of Death build is not exactly a boss friendly build, but you just need a couple pieces to like make that work right. Like you just need to like get it under whatever threshold to to be able to do the Touch of Death. But it's like those powers are mostly about clearing the floors faster because you don't want to be bothered doing that because that's kind of boring, right? Which I think is like, not a great like, like, I think that's the, the ultimate truth of what it is, and that's not great because, like, that's what Dorgast is, right? It's, like, mostly clearing those floors, which is un yep. unfortunate. I have there are also powers that I think uh, are almost intentionally uninteresting in a way. Like, this is the other thing with the, uh, the execute power. The only thing you do is you cast execute. Also, the same thing is true for the, the Bladestorm power. It doesn't make your Bladestorm more powerful. It just increases the duration. So I hit Bladestorm, and I'm just sitting there spinning for 15 seconds. <laughs> that's it like you know that i can't use any moves or abilities and i just have to hope that bladestorm is strong enough to like bring stuff down or whatever um and you know like i don't know that's that's the i guess that's the nature of the beast i will say that that, that honestly some of the most interesting times in torquez for me have been when i'm interacting with the the stationary mechanics right like of the of the floors themselves like the soul forge embers which is constantly hitting you for 10 percent of your health that one is really interesting and i am more engaged running that floor probably than any of the other the others just just because i'm constantly thinking about like i'm losing 10 percent of my health every tick and i need to like keep moving and i need to find healing where i can to keep myself topped off so i don't kind of like bleed out to this fire damage yeah but then that gets trivialized by getting the the ravage anima cell or whatever it is and and like... that's true but i actually also think low-key the ravenous anima cells are also kind of a trap i basically don't take them anymore because i just don't find them all that all that good there's like a couple of small things that are like really good like um uh 
There's the archers. If you ravenous an archer, you get 10 to 20 souls, which I just think is huge, right? Because souls are 1% you know, primary stat each. Um, there's the decreased fire damage one, if you want to trivialize the fire damage. And there's the um, uh, the one that makes like the marrow, the bone marrow guys drop 10% or 10 times as much phantasma. Um, those are the only ones I think are like really worth it with the ravenous hand of a cell. And most of the times I just skip it. Yeah, no, I, I I do I do too. Um, I like I said, like I, I use it for the fire ones, and I, I occasionally use it for the phantasma ones. But it's like, you know, a lot of that's dependent on like what's what's available. But like, you know, like the mounts in the mounts inside of Torghast are like super or like a super big trap. Or like any of the movement speed ones, like who cares, right? Like. Um, I don't know, to be honest, I kind of take those more and more now, nowadays. Really? Since I've learned that I can more or less blitz Torghast down, uh, I will sometimes just take, the, like, the Marat mount just to, like, run faster and save myself the, you know, whatever, the five or ten minutes it's going to save of my real lifetime running Torghast. <laughs> okay, I guess that makes sense. Like, maybe I've got, like, the wrong perspective since I'm since I'm a monk and I could just, like, roll through everything forever. And you know, like I've got, I've got a lot of inherent mobility. That means I don't need the mount as much, especially in this because the. Yeah, public... I also will say that by the way, Torghas has improved since nine point zero point five because they have added more powers in, right? So there's like, so there's a lot more variety, right? Like this is one of the things that's really fun about the dungeon runs. When, when I was doing dungeon runs, I was constantly changing, right? So um, <clears throat> my my rule was I was going from class to class to class. So when I start and I do, you know, whatever it is, right, like rogue, warrior, warlock, priest, mage, and you go all the way around back to warrior, by the time you're back to warrior, you have done nine intervening dungeon runs, and so, like, you kind of get to refresh yourself, um, which I also think is not the case with Torghast, right, because Torghast is encouraging you to run the same... You know, like, to run on the same characters every week. I'm sure if, if, if Solas was a global currency, right, and I could be running it on a number of different characters, and I was following that same sort of thing where I was going Arms Warrior, Demonology Warlock, Assassination Rogue, you know, like, all the way down the line, um, I would probably be having a much better time with it because I have that ability to sort of, like, you know, like, change things up, which is just part of the, like, the MMO design, I guess, um versus the like the roguelike card game design like even slay the spire with four characters you can do that with just one two three four and yeah. i feel like that that would be a huge oh yeah yeah absolutely they also have like daily runs which have like a bunch of modifiers on them which are super fun but yes um uh that's that's definitely definitely the case like torghast for me like i run torghast when i have an emissary quest to do torghast and uh i like i just haven't been doing them for the past couple weeks because like i don't i don't have the gold to support building out more legendaries it's like well i'm gonna about to top out on Solash. why bother right like um uh, they actually removed the cap on Solash. oh did they mm -hmm. oh good to know yeah i still probably won't I do it but i think i technically have the max level of Solash possible because i cleared it at the max level and i've done every single Solash mission i could Maybe I would have generated them earlier. I don't actually know how the Soul Ash missions work, but I've like succeeded every Soul Ash mission I've ever gone on. So, um, like at this point, I've gotten it all done. But part of like part of where I am in WoW right now is like I'm finding a lot of uh, a lot of fun. It's probably a weekly quest. So yeah, I think you're right, Philidor. Um I'm finding a lot of fun like putting together different builds inside of my spec. Um, so. Uh, like, whereas in a certain sense, when I'm doing Hearthstone stuff, right, 
I'm like walking into it completely blind or like completely fresh, right? It now when I'm when I'm working on my warrior, it's about finding stuff in, inside of the warrior, like finding small changes or optimizations to the playstyle inside of my warrior that are making that like that gameplay like more fun or interesting. If that makes sense. It does. Um, it does. Yeah. Um. Um. So when it comes to do you do you feel like in Slay the Spires, um, you are getting into. Like what? What does early game, mid game, late game sort of like look like when it comes to uh, the different phases of kind of like combat? Yeah. So um, early game is a lot of kind of like, like very early game can be a little bit repetitive because like it's it's mostly just like like I said, there's you've got basic attack and defense cards which are like add five shields, do five damage, and like that's it. Um, and you get like a couple of little flavor things for, or a couple of like base components for your for your character, um, but you don't have much. Um, a lot of it is kind of like making sure you don't build out too far in one direction so that you have all offensive cards and you're going to be screwed on the defensive side and vice versa. Um, making sure you can, you can play, you can play against, uh, the enemies properly. Um, okay, that's interesting. Um, but, but it's also at some point it, it quickly becomes about targeting what you're going for, right? Like, are you going for a lightning build on the defect if you're playing, um, the second character, I forget what her name is, but you know she's got a poison mechanic. Like, are you focusing on building a poison? Are you focusing on her things that target weakness? Are you focusing on a couple of her powers that are focused on like low cost cards and like drawing a bunch of cards? Um, like my the a run I did today with the um, he's one of the more famous characters. It's like a blind uh, martial artist that has different stance, and she uh, um, like today I was focused more on kind of just cycling cards. And like using that to like, like just continuously um, deal damage in like a, a turn and like building up energy and dropping it and kind of going on where you can focus on stance changes, right? Like um, the two primary stances are one is like, um, it's kind of like one, it only does something when you exit it and it gives you bonus energy. And then the other one is you do damage, double damage, you take double damage. So kind of the, the natural rhythm, if you're going for the stance stuff is, you know, get into calm. Um, get to a point where you have uh, an enrage card. Pop you pop out of a calm into enrage and use the extra um, energy you get oh, from that. Interesting. Yeah, and that, like really hit somebody. That's yeah, cool. Yeah, and that's like that's like kind of like the very like if you like look at it, it'd be like, oh, this is the basic mechanic for how this character works, right? You know, mi mitigate the risk, and then you start building other things like you know, well, like the, this this run. I basically kind of ignored that and just stayed in calm for most of it when I could and, like, pop out of it if I needed to. And I'd focus on her other stuff, like, um, like she's got a bunch of scrying powers. Um, and there's a couple of cards that will pull out of your discard pile if you scry. Um, basically, the way, so just to lay it out, since I know you don't play and people at home don't play. Um, at the top of your turn, you generally draw five cards and you've got three energy um, to deal with it. And then at the end of your turn, your hand gets discarded into um, into the discard pile. And when you run out of cards, you reshuffle the deck and start again. Um, and they're they're like uh like so. One of um the her bigger powers is retain, which is cards stay in your hand instead of being discarded into the discard pile. And she's got a couple of powers, which are kind of like you have to cast them once each fight, but they're like buffs that stick around, and you don't um, you don't replay them generally. Um, so, like, I had one that's, like, uh, I managed to get myself in a situation where I always had a card called Battle Him. Uh, it had 
had a trait called Nate, which means that it's always in your starting hand. So battle him, puts a smite into your hand every turn. And if you smite, smite is a a cheap, just damaging spell. So it was basically, and they retain. So it was basically building those up and like keeping myself basically surviving while just really uh, spamming those. And that was basically how I, I, uh, uh, I, I, there was some other mechanics there too. Like the other thing I was talking about, there's this card called Weave, which zero cost, light damage, but its thing is if you scry, you pull it out of the discard. And so, uh, bunch of scry cards that just like, you know, scry is, is actually almost exactly how it works in, um, in magic. You look at the top X cards and you can discard as many of them to your discard as, as you want. Um, so just like kind of like looping those things. I didn't engage with the stance mechanic at all. Um, but if you wanted to, you could go deep into the stance mechanic and just keep popping back. There's ways to just exit your stance arbitrarily. There's um, a couple like a couple different cards that like that you can retain. Um, that like I said, that'll let you like switch stances. And there's a third stance that you can only get through like added cards it's called. Um, uh, it's like mantra to. I forget. I forget what the the uh, the ultimate state is, but you do triple damage. And you gain a bunch of energy, but it only lasts for a turn. So right, like there's like like uh, I was start I played with that on a couple of different runs where you basically build to a crescendo, um, and like you know then you're like slamming things out on that turn and trying to run through as much as possible, and then you're kind of being conservative as you're building back up to it. Um, Interesting. Yeah, I've definitely had a similar sort of experience in dungeon run. Sometimes like there's one card, and I think the old Doom set that says. Um, it's like it's like arcane missiles, but for five mana, right? So arcane missiles does one damage to everything, but it upgrades. In, in, so it's inside of your deck, and it upgrades for every spell that you've cast this game. So you can build your whole deck around that. And I sometimes did for these like really explosive like turns where you're just like you're you're playing spells that put spells in your hand, then playing and like getting all those out, all with the payoff of like drawing this one card and then just like slamming it for 300 damage or whatever yeah <laughs> you know, like whatever oh yeah yeah is. yeah no that's that's uh, similar things too but like you know that's you know and there's four like that's one character is grab like you know three or four different ways to play her and there's four mm -hmm. characters so you know um and the bosses all have like like there's there's a bunch of like little mechanics in here too that like you don't get in hearthstone just because again it's uh it's 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 not built for it but um like um but then you get to like places where like the last boss, like one one of the one of the final bosses, is a uh, a thing that like like if you play too many cards, like if you uh, uh, the twelfth card you play like across turns just ends your turn there, and he he gets to take his turn. He's like a time warp or something. And, like halfway halfway through the fight, he'll reset. Or like another one is another one summons a bunch of minions. Another one, um, uh, like when you kill him, he resurrects. You know, very classic. Um, uh, you know, I should check. They might be tied to the individual character now that I'm thinking about it, um, but they might not be. I need to. I need to. But like, you know, there's like so much. There's so much to do, and it's like a great. I don't. Know. I, I having it on my phone. I think it's like super. Um, it's super key to like me keeping playing just just because like, it's it's definitely too much of a game for like. I'll try listening to a podcast with it, and then I'll realize that I'm like not paying attention to the podcast and paying too much attention to playing the game. Um, but it's like, Ooh, I feel that it's, it's like, I, I think it's, it's the game that made me believe that mobile games could be good. Um, and it was first, <laughs> first desktop game, but like these card game roguelites, I think are perfect kind of for this, 
um, for for this mobile game space. Where, like I don't have to like keep up yeah. with it or feel bad with it. Like I do with like you know Hearthstone and Magic when I was playing. It's like well I gotta play every day to get like my cards because there's like a static thing. Whereas like these you know it's it's fresh every run and there's some amount of progress, but it's not like tied to any time or anything. So. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely that's definitely true, and I like that. I like that interaction a lot. They've actually gotten away. I mean, I've, I've complained about this before. They've gotten away from dungeon runs in recent like history, um, so it's just like not been. Now they're doing what's called Book of Heroes. Um, Mobile MTG has just come out. Oh, I actually didn't realize that. So what they're doing in Hearthstone is uh, Book of Heroes is like uh, it's a solo adventure, but like you get you get a deck and you're playing through a storyline right of a couple of different you know card battles but it'll be like Jaina and you're learning about Jaina's whatever like her past it, representative through um like the different uh you know like the different decks she's playing and people she's like playing against and that's like fun that's what the classic Hearthstone adventures were but they're just like not as engaging to me as like the dungeon runs were or or have been and i almost wonder like i know that a bunch of people on the hearthstone team moved off the hearthstone team onto an unannounced project um so i am kind of interested and i think that might have been you know like they once once a bunch of people on the dungeon run team moved into another project at blizzard they didn't have anybody to replace it so the dungeon runs have kind of sucked um, that, that might be what's going on. But the other thing that they did is they actually turned Dungeon Run into a PvP mode. Where really? you, yeah, so it's like, it's sort of like Arena, right? Where you are, like, progressively fighting people with better and better decks. Um, but, like, after every victory, you, or after every match, right, you pick up, uh, a bucket of cards, you have, like, the crazy powers, they're called duels. Um, which to me is sort of antithetical to what I want out of Dungeon Run. Um, like, I like PvP Hearthstone, and I've obviously played a ton of PvP Hearthstone, but, like, I'm not super interested in, like, finding a PvP mode out of what should sort of be, like, blitzum, do crazy bullshit com combat, you know? Right, because um, at that point, you're, it's highly luck-dependent, and that can be super frustrating, I would imagine, right? Yeah, like yeah. And I do know that there are, like, good builds, and, like, the, the this character is good, this character is shitty, but, like... You can do this stuff with that and like and so there's a meta and you once you create a meta game i feel like that sucks a lot of fun out of the sort of adventurous side right. of like the roguelike stuff right because like all of a sudden you're not like exploring you know part of part of part of what what's doing doing the dungeon runs is so fun is that it just adds a little check mark whenever you beat the dungeon run with a certain thing right so for instance um if i beat it with a hero with a certain hero power and with a, with a certain deck it'll give a little check mark on that deck and I don't have to I don't have to ever worry about it. like I beat it with that deck and that feels good because then I can move on and I can explore the possibility space of all these other decks and all these other hero powers and all this other stuff right um, but uh, but if I'm just like you know but like a P anything with a metagame and anything like PvP related is almost always asking you to focus and drill right you want to get really good at your one thing because like the the thing that's going to make or break your success is like your deep deep well of knowledge and this yeah, is true looking I mean, for this consistency is true for this is also true for pve content right like this is true for rating this is true for mythic plus as well right but just like it's the creation of a meta that that creates that sort of that sort of um understanding and i don't think that dungeon run ever really had a meta or if it did like 
it was very, very secondary. Like, I'm sure there are people who wanted to beat Dungeon Run and, like, looked up guides, and there are people who say, like, oh, this is, you know, this is how you do it, or whatever. Um, but it's such a minor thing in comparison to sort of, um, I don't know, just playing it, just like playing it for yourself and having fun. I agree. I agree. Um, do you know about any, if there are any other these games? There, there must be, right? Like, um... I know one of them, so one of the guys, Peter Whalen, who designed Hearthstone, who was the designer on Hearthstone for Dungeon Run, was basically poached um, from, he made a, he made a mobile game of this, and then Hearthstone was like, come work on Hearthstone. And then, uh, but then, but then, like I said, he moved to another, he moved to another project. Where, mm. what is the thing that he made before then? Prior to this, he's best known for creating the roguelike deck-building RPG Dream Quest, which hmm. is an indie game on Steam. Yes, okay, I, I do know this. Um, so. Interesting. Dream Quest, honestly, might be, like, a very proto version of, uh, of this. Dream Quest came out in 2014. It's very basic. Like, it's very, it has, like, very indie game uh, vibes, but... I, I, I do know that there are some other ones. Oh, Hand of Fate. I'm looking at this. Hand the, of Fate is huge. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's because it's got like an action component to it, right? Like you actually like, fight the battles out on the map, which I thought was interesting. Uh, I Dungeons that. Is, an, is a neat one. I actually didn't know that that was a card battler, but it's by the guy. I, this guy's famous uh, in like indie circles because he's done a bunch of Terry Kavanaugh. What, what did he do that's like his, his oh, Super Hexacon and VVV. VVV. Oh, VVV. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean. Yeah, that game. That game was was crazy. I, that came when when we were in college. I mean, that's like that is a very very, uh, like indie game. Like like that's like a like a fundamental indie game, right? Like you know, not great graphics. Like you know, weird game. Yeah, no, I I, I played I, I played a lot of those classic games. But yeah, that's it's neat game. Yeah, I'm, it was one of those ones that was sort of in that class of indie games that I actually played. Like I never played. What who's the who's the guy that did Braid? Oh, um, well, yeah, Jonathan Blow, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, I never played Braid. I played Bastion, which was big around that time, but a lot of these were platformers, and I hated platformers. But I played this one because, um, because a friend of mine recommended it. Shout out to Prash, if you're listening, which I know you're not. because uh, <laughs> a friend of mine recommended it, and I thought it was just insanely clever. It was very hard. I was really bad at it, because, like, I, I always have this problem with platformers. I don't have the same kind of, like, muscle memory that other people do for, uh, for platformers. But just the, like, the swapping gravity mechanic, um, was, like, so cool and so huge. And this is now, like, a staple of the genre, right? Like, Spinch has gravity swapping in, in World 6, for instance. Yeah, yeah, no, um, and it's, it's, uh, there was, uh, I forgot what I was going to say about it, but yes, uh, VVVV was, was great, um, it was like, um, around that time also was when, um, I think it's money, like, one of, um, oh, what's that guy's name, uh, Matty, um, I, I forgot the person's name, uh, but he did a game called Money Season, and that turned into, uh, a, uh, uh, let me, let me see if I can, I can find it. Did a bunch of games kind of in the space. Uh, yeah, there's actually a bunch of these now that I'm looking at that I, that I do recognize. Nowhere Profit is a big one. Uh, I know the Nowhere Profit. Uh, the, the, that, that team is very cool and very smart. They have a, they have a really neat Discord um, where um, they're, like, constantly talking about sort of, like, the game and how it works and, like, asking really deep design questions of their community and stuff like that. 
That was really sweet. Uh, Monster Slayers is another one. That one came out recently, I'm pretty sure. Uh, yeah, 2017, um, which is another which is another sort of like RPG, but you have a you have like a whole party in it. There's actually a bunch of these now. They look at it. I kind of wish that I that I that I played more uh, of these roguelike deck builders. Yeah. So so the person I was thinking of was Maddie Thorson, who uh, did Money Seas first, but famously made Celeste, which is uh, an excellent game. Oh yeah 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 that is famous. Um, uh, and Towerfall, um, but yes, is a uh, you know uh, the, you know like these, these kind of classic classic indie games is like a weird thing, weird way to think about it, right? Like, but that's like surely what it is, right? Like, um, but yeah, um, I don't know if I've got a lot more to say about these deck builders though, since we me neither. Um, do you you want to tell me about your week? Yeah, so my week started with a big bang. If I start, I mean ended, because we did it yesterday. I, I have achieved Keystone Master. So Keystone Master is getting 15s timed in all eight dungeons of Shadowlands. Um, and gives you a mount. It's kind of the, the it's kind of the equivalent of Mythic Raiding, it, but like for, for Mythic Plus Dungeons. But it was, it feels it feels good to have it done. Because this was like kind of, this would be like, became my focus over the course of Shadowlands. I was having so much fun doing Mythics, um, and I eventually settled onto a Mythics team um, where we were running every week with, like, the same core people, and we were, like, m designing our own routes and stuff like that. And um, and it was just, like, the perfect... I feel like when when Blizzard was pitching Mythics, right, as, a, as like, an alternate source of gear, as sort of an alternate progression path um, in their internal meetings, they were pitching the the version of mythics that i that i was going through uh which was you know like finding a team and having people that that are like really kind of solidly coming together i guess i would say um to to understand not only ourselves like not only like in, as individuals but like as as a class and there's a lot of really interesting like stuff and like innovations that kind of came out of that um, which I think is sort of neat because 15s have maybe been some of the most challenging WoW content I, I've ever done. Um, I also got Keystone Master in 8.3, and I got Keystone Master completely pugging in 8.3, right? Just, like, through pickup groups. Um, but one, I was tanking. Two, I was incredibly well-geared when I, like, when we first started getting into Mythics. Three, uh, corruptions were a thing, and corruptions were super just insanely broken and four my class was incredibly meta protection warrior was the meta tank for the late like the late stages of 8.3 um whereas now i am dps arms warrior is very not meta in fact it's one of the worst specs in the game right now um necrolord's arms warrior is the least meta of the least meta classes right so much so that by the way i am the best necrolord's arms warrior in the world uh, according to Warcraft logs at this point. Yay! Mostly because there aren't any of us, right? <laughs> but, um... There are dozens of but, us. Yeah. But the, the, there were a lot of really interesting pieces of the puzzle that I didn't quite foresee that made Mythics really interesting. Like, So, for instance, something that, we, that my team learned is that, like, it was actually sort of a mistake to follow the advice of builds and sims over sort of our own lived experience make, yeah like like experiences specifically logs were very helpful for me i learned a lot about myself because i was logging almost all of every time we would do mythics i was logging them right and then i was going back and looking at those 
those logs. And I was learning a lot of like really interesting stuff. That should be the norm, says Phelan in the chat. Absolutely, I agree with you. Um, because one of the things I was learning is, first of all, and I've talked about this before, first of all, nothing matters. <laughs> Which is to say that I typically did about the same DPS over the course of an entire dungeon, right? Um, that, that c based on what I was picking, right? No matter what choice I was making, that DPS I was doing was going to be about the same. But the way in which the damage was happening kind of in the moments was very different, which I thought was incredibly interesting. So in the late stages of us pushing Mythics, I was making lots of complex decisions about my build based on what dungeon we were doing and where like, where we were um, sort of like falling in it. In our Mists 15, for instance, I was running Anger Management, which most people would have said, like, if, like, that is a very unmeta choice right now, and it's really weird if you look at the logs for for where for what my build looks looks like compared to all the other warriors pushing plus fifteens. But anger management was a really useful tool for my group specifically because of how it does damage and where the time uh, lines up. So by its default, uh, Bladestorm has a one point five minute cooldown, a ninety second cooldown. Anger management says every 20 rage you spend reduces that cooldown by one. So what it really does is it shaves about 30 seconds off. It says that Bladestorm has a is a minute cooldown rather than a one and a half minute cooldown, basically. Um, but one of the things in Mists of Tyrion Sight is that dungeon has a lot of pulls that are, especially in the maze section, that you just can really blitz them down with Bladestorm. And each of those pulls takes, you know, a minute-ish right and so being able to to just like pump more blade storms in the middle there was actually able to save us a ton of time uh it also has better cooldown windows and opportunities for the bosses in the dungeon on the week because i was able to fit two blade storms into a boss fight boss fights typically last around 90 seconds in like tyrannical 15s or whatever i was able to fit two blade storms into each boss fight rather than just the one which was a huge deal because i could basically open with blade storm and then finish the fight with blade storm um, rather than have just, you know, I open with Bladestorm and then it comes off cooldown right as the boss is dying, which is a pretty, like, common thing. Um, but I think that a lot of that, I think a lot of that is obfuscated from players, in a way. Um, but, and, and I don't want to begrudge players, I guess, for just sort of, like, following the, the guides, following the sims, or whatever. Um... Because, in a certain sense, the WoW systems are so convoluted at this point that, like, it's really hard to understand them without the context of the computer, with, of a computer, you know? Like, without logs, I never would have been able to make any of these decisions because I never would have been able to see the spikes in my damage just, like, graphically represented to me in a, in a complete way. Um, and for players who are not like me, who are just, like, following Sims. Without Sims, they don't have a good understanding of, like, should I build all Verse? Should I build all Mastery? Should I do this? Should I do that kind of thing? Um, and I think that that's... I don't know. I think that that's yeah, it's, a... It's interesting, right? Because this is effectively going to the tape, right? Like, which is a thing you do in football, yeah. thing you do in sports, right? Thing you do in fighting games, right? Like, watch... Just, like, the, the, number, the piece of advice that I hear all the time from the people who are really into fighting games is, like, watch your replays, right? Um, but those things aren't going to be as visible. Like, even if you could just, like, record yourself playing, those things aren't going to be as visible to you because, like, it's, like, you could, like, I guess, like, read the numbers, but it's not as, like, visually striking as it is in kind of, like, a sports game or, or a fighting game where, like, you can see where things go right and go wrong. So the logs make sense to me as kind of a an insight into that. And the sims are kind of, like... Yeah, logs were huge. 
because, um, you know, like, so one of the things that I was able to see is when I was using Ravager, which, which is, Ravager replaces Bladestorm, it puts a, puts a little spinny sword on the ground, and that sword generates rage, but you are specifically not spinning, so you can just cast normal shit while Ravager is up, right? Ravager made my, my DPS very bursty, where basically all of my DPS was coming in those 10 second Ravager windows, and then I was doing, like, very poor DPS in between those windows. And there are sometimes where that was really useful and sometimes where that was really bad, right? Um, like, an innovation that we had to do was... So, Ingramalic is a is the first boss of Tyrannoscythe, right? He has a huge, huge health pool, and he has this tree guy with him. And the, the function of that fight, typically, like, the mechanics of that fight are you DPS down the tree guy... And then when the tree guy gets very low, he nukes Ingramalic with a debuff that says he takes 200% more damage. Everybody pops their cooldowns and you blow up Ingramalic. But we actually learned that it was incorrect for all of us to do that. Because what would happen is we wouldn't get the tree down fast enough, right? The tree would stay up. Ingramalic is progressively casting more and more dangerous stuff. Um, and so what was actually correct was for me to blow my cooldowns on the tree to get the tree down in a reasonable time and for the other DPS in my party to save their cooldowns for Ingramalic because because that was then how they were going to take advantage of the debuff and really like blitz the debuff. And those kinds of decisions, like, I can't make that without logs, right? Like, maybe I can make that on feel, like I feel the DPS isn't, isn't fast enough or not doing enough DPS to really like get things down, but... Um, yeah, I, it was, it was, I guess, I don't know. It was just like huge um, to make that kind of a, to make that kind of an innovation and be like, oh, wow, this makes a, this makes like a gigantic difference in how we, you know, like in how we approach the, uh, the dungeon. But most of the time it's not, you know, it, it wasn't even all that much like rotational stuff. Um, a lot of, a lot of the innovations we were making were just like small mechanics things. Um, a big thing was charting paths throughout the dungeon. I think my... I almost want to do a whole podcast on this where I just want to, like, give people recommendations. Like, this is how we did it. Um, but, like, one of the things that we really did to get Keystone Master was um, we hammered... We, we made our own roots. So we made the kinds of roots that we liked and were comfortable with. And then we were drilling those roots, essentially, right? Because, um, like, something that can really fuck people up, I think, especially if they're pugging, is that a lot of the time, like, there is sort of just like weird stuff happening with the roots and what you're pulling and that's like really dangerous because like people aren't always on the same page for what's coming out where and who's paying attention to like to what kind of thing it's just like so mind it's like it, it really puts my mind at ease to know what the next four pulls all look like because we've run this three times by now do you know what i mean yeah yeah yeah, yeah. no no that, that, that makes sense no, that makes a lot of sense huh yeah no, it's, it's, I, I, I'd be interested, so I don't know if we could turn it into a full episode, but I do think it'd be interesting to see, like, see that process. I also similarly think it'd be interesting to, like, quiz, like, Sarian about doing that for Raid, because I figure it's a, it's a similar process, mm. although there's, like, you know, this is a, a little bit more of a kind of, like, 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 Sarian's a little bit more in kind of, like, the, the commander role, right, because he doesn't have to contribute as much, like, as opposed to, like, the squad leader role, which is what I kind of assigning to you because you're like you know smaller five man yeah. unit yeah it's it's super super it's also it's also a little bit different because like um you have to make choices in a mythic plus that are very different than choices you have to make during a raid encounter so for instance um 
It took us eight tries to get the other side, which is the hardest dungeon in the game, done in time. And part of that is that, like, if you screw up a pull early, you, generally speaking, still have time... You still have to like you still have time to make up that difference but like now you're making di different decisions and i can see almost like a speed run right like i can see like okay when the last time we did this we lost we lost two minutes from our best time right we need to make these two minutes up which is going to mean pulling packs more proactively it's going to mean combining certain pulls together that we would normally do like separately and discreetly and that stuff is obviously like very risky but like it's pretty necessary you know like when those sorts of changes get made part of this is that um th here's this is an interesting thing about the design of mythic plus that i don't think people really understand it is it is paradoxically easier and harder to time dungeons on tyrannical weeks where bosses are more difficult than on fortified weeks where trash is more difficult right People normally say fortified weeks are easier. Trash has less mechanics to deal with. Most people build their Mythic Plus characters around big AOE pulls. So it's very normal to do big AOE pulls. You know, you're you're blade storming a lot. You're doing lots of big AOE damage. That feels good. That feels right, right? Um, compared to tyrannical weeks where you're not really doing that much because, like, the trash just kind of falls over dead, essentially. Um, but because of the numbers... So fortified increases the health of all the mobs in, in the, all the trash mobs by 10% and they're damaged by, or I'm sorry, the health by 20%, they're damaged by 10%. And tyrannical is 30 and 15, I think. So it's 30% more health, 15% more damage. You save a lot more time on a tyrannical week because the trash just falls over basically, right? You don't really have to worry about, you just kill it pretty effortlessly comparatively to, to right. a fortified week. Um, but your risk of wiping is much, much higher because the bosses are more difficult, right? The bosses are universally going to be more difficult and are going to lead to wipes because when they go that long, right, like you can screw up mechanics and those mechanics screw-ups can be like really fatal. Um, but you gain so much time. Like on our on this week, we timed 15 Plaguefall and we actually wiped against the final boss, but we had seven minutes left on the timer. So we just, we just came back and did it again and we got it. We, just because like we saved so much more time by doing it on like the tyrannical week rather than doing it on the fortified week, which is like a really interesting interaction because like it's sort of saying like, okay, the fortified key is easier, but you have to run it perfectly. You can't you can't fuck it up anywhere because if you do, you you whiff on time, right? Um, the tyrannical week is riskier because it's easier to wipe on those bosses, right? But you have a little bit more cushion. You have a little bit more room in there um to make things you know to make things work out that makes sense that makes sense to me um so i have a question kind of how, so so how do you feel about like and this is kind of in general right like about switching up talents for situations right that, that is the thing that i get kind of in my gut he like i want my character to be the way i talent him and that's like the my expert like that this is how this character is i've built him this way um obviously the game i think has gone in a different direction where if you want to like squeeze out little pieces of um of damage uh, or you know of, of effectiveness rather um you know you should be talenting you know for each for each in, you know in braiding it's for each encounter for mythics you're locked in for the for the dungeon right so what i think of and what i like is sort of the line between viability and for, so first of all yes in mythics you're locked right so once you enter the dungeon you can't make any changes um 
what what I'm interested in uh, in terms of like is like the line between viability and optimization. I think it's cool that I was making these kinds of opti optimizations to go anger management in the, in this week's Mist of Tyrannus Scythe because of because it's specifically tyrannical and I know the dungeon and I looked at the logs and I made the correct conclusions that this was the right way to go. And by the way, on Fortified, it's better to go Ravager because the you you get two ravager windows in some of the trash pulls um but that's a different story um and like i like that as a very high level player with an incredible mastery of my class right i am able to discern and make those kinds of decisions that's like super cool super valuable to me and by the way it, it extends past just uh just talents this is extends to conduits this extends to um soul binds this extends to legendaries right like any of these things that are like kind of in the package of creating a build however i also think that you can just have a build and do it and it works out like one of the dungeons i mistakenly had my raid build um this was this was last week on the fortified week which would be the worst week to do this because on fortified you really want to go for aoe right i was in my raid build which is insanely single target and we actually timed a dungeon one of the 15s that we were looking to time even though i had made that mistake just because like at the end of the day, my DPS was about the same, and it actually turned out that having someone who was very dedicated to single target was really useful because two other people in my party were super specced for AoE at that point. So we weren't really weren't we didn't need more AoE blitzing from you know a, a super blade storm focused AoE build. We actually benefited from having somebody who could one really single target down certain mobs and um, and to provide a little bit of like DPS kind of contrast. Um, compared to others like so for instance um fire mages right now are like the big meta spec the big meta specs i would say right now are fire mages boomkins marksmanship hunters the marksmanship hunters are kind of dropping a little bit because they fixed a bug that was giving them damage um all three of those classes are really burst focused classes for druids it's burst around convoke the spirits for fire mages it's burst around combustion and for marksmanship it's burst around true shot wild spirits like the combo of those two of those two abilities uh a group that is those three classes would probably have a really tough time on Ingram Malik, which I was describing earlier, because unless one of those classes is burning the, their cooldowns on the tree, which they are not trained to do, right? We train those classes to burn your cooldowns on the on the big DPS window. Um, it is actually, you know, like you are you are kind of like being you are it is detrimental and um, and you can like really hurt yourself. Uh, having that kind of a like a setup walking into walking into like certain fights and certain bosses but i also think that you know in general if you just want to be the person that has a build and that is your build and that's how you want to approach you know each dungeon or each encounter or whatever you're probably fine to be honest um i could have run the dreadnought build and been good for everything um and it was sort of my baseline build uh, for these 15s, right? Like, it was the one where if I didn't have a good reason to go something else, I was going the Dreadnought build, which is what, you know, is recommended by all the guides, right? Like, sure. they say that this is this is the best. Um, so, you know, I guess that's that's my feeling about it. Fair enough. Yeah. But do you, but do you, do you feel like, do you feel like you're interested in other aspects of, of Windwalker Bunk? Like, are you interested in seeing what Windwalker plays out with different legendaries different build types or whatever or is that not something that that you find compelling um it's something that i think i could like i would find it compelling if all i wanted to do was play wow um mm -hmm. and there, there's there's definitely a part of me that's like 
I want Billamong to be the way that I built him because that's how I envisioned the character, right? And there's not a ton of, like, customization left in there anyway, right? Just because the game, the game's kind of, like, the game by necessity has to be, you know, variable within a couple percentage points to keep everybody happy, right? Like, um, and so, like, theoretically, I have a vision for Billamong with, like, you know, oh, and he chose these talents because there's a theme, but it's not really, right? Like, you know, it's not like he's, like, you know, there's a super flavorful, spec for like the the choices i've made um but like you know i like touch of death and i you know you know i want to be able to use my touch of death legendary when i can and like you know that's fun to me but like you know it's not like a thing that super i super care about right like i pick up the raid uh shoulders picked up the raid shoulders because that's the thing that i was supposed to do and i saw dps increase for it and you know sure i'm that that you know that's nice um i don't have the time or, or rather my desire to do all this analysis that you've done is less than my desire to go play a different game, right? Like, sure. and, you know, demands on my time type of deal, right? Like, you know, I got Monster Runner Rise on Friday and I haven't been able to play it yet. I'm probably going to play it after we finish here. Um, and, you know, and, you know, that might be after I, you know, go do finish some stuff in one. Like, it's already taking a lot of my time that I want to be able to put it other places. So... Um, I just, I don't yeah, have... Uh, I feel that for sure. Yeah. And, you know, I and, mean, part of it is that I legitimately get a dopamine hit out of seeing my numbers. Yo, no, I, <laughs> I get the, it. You know, like, this is, the, this is the thing that I've made fun of in Battle for Azeroth, right? Um, specifically because it really, it really hurt when I wasn't top. Um, and so I got really invested in having good numbers, and then I would be really mad and angry if I didn't have good numbers. It was almost like League of Legends at that point. Um, where, you know, like, the wins are sort of methadone, right? And the losses are, like, going through withdrawal, and there is no high anymore, essentially. But I'm not at that point anymore, because now I just, like, ambiently know that good numbers are good. Like, I know what numbers are good, and seeing good numbers makes me feel good, rather than seeing them in, like in relation to someone else's, right? Like, it doesn't bother me that, like, I get trounced in raid by people all the time. Um, Phalanor beats me in raid on a lot of fights, uh, even though I have, like, six eye levels and a ton of shit, you know? Like, hypothetically speaking, I probably should be out DPSing Phalanor, but I that doesn't, that doesn't bother me at all anymore. Um, but it feels good to, like, look at the logs and be like, oh, I made this choice, and it really paid off. Ugh. So, you know, like, <laughs> so good. Uh, and also to answer the question in the chat, so is WoW going on the back burner for Buddy now that KSM is there? Honestly, I just want to run more. This is this is what I said to Savadar last night, who has also been gunning pretty hard for for Keystone Master. You know, like, he he was like, I want to I want to get it so I can, do, like, go do other stuff with my time. And that's fair enough, right? Um, but uh, but one of the nice things about getting a, t like, getting a team together is that, like, really, it's when the team is there... And they're like, we're free in this window. Let's let's do our runs, right? Um, that I and I can plan around that sort of thing. So if I don't want to, I can just like I've, been, I've actually been playing other games. I've been playing Gears Tactics, which I put like ten hours into this week, huh. um, which is sort of the Gears of War XCOM, which we can talk about in a bit. Um, but yeah, after getting KSM, now I just want to run more because KSM unlocks uh, Valor Point upgrades up to two twenty. So like now I just want to like run dungeons. I'm probably gonna run dungeons after this actually, um, on my alts to get them gear. I want to run dungeons to fill out my vault each week. I'm probably gonna keep going for the ten chest at fourteens, um, just because like opening the vault is like Christmas morning every week for me, right? Um, so 
I don't think WoW's going to end up on the back burner. I'm, mm. I'm pretty sure I'm going to continue to, you know, yeah. to play it. Though I will say that I'm playing less WoW now than I was maybe two or three months ago. Uh, specifically because I'm not pugging anymore. Uh, when I was pugging Mythics all the time, that t- just t- takes a lot of time. Um, so, yeah. yeah. No, I So I, I actually did have enjoyed doing uh doing battlegrounds like every once in a while just like oh really yeah just because like you know it's uh, i don't know why it is but like it feels like it's always a blowout one way or the other and like on like uh on like a a wrathy basin it's it seems to be like horde blows out pretty pretty hard but i I find it fun right like i just you know like derping around like killing people um i feel like i've got some good moments i don't think it's because i'm good because like if i ever one-on-one anybody that's like halfway decent it's like it's like occasionally when most of the time it's kind of like oh there's a paladin and the paladin has uh <laughs> the the paladin has like you know used all of his bullshit and i can't touch him anymore and you know now i'm dead so you know there's that um and i don't yeah, care enough I, to I might learn. get into arenas because now now my mythics team we were, were like are we gonna keep running mythics and the answer was yes because we're gonna like do the vault mm. but i'm also like insanely geared at this point and part of me feels like i should just be able to like walk into arenas and just like completely dumpster people just because like I'm sitting on all this 226 gear, right? Mm. Which is probably not the truth, because I'm not—I don't have any versatility, which is the most important PvP stat. Um, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's PvP is a different beast, but it's still fun, uh, you know. Especially BGs. BGs is uh, uh, BGs. BGs are fun because no one, no one's like. It's not coordinated. Random BGs. I'm not doing rated battlegrounds, yeah. right? Like, you know, random BGs are like people. Oh, like... I've, I have always been really interested in doing rated battlegrounds. It's it's like impossible because it's ten people. Like, it feels like getting ten people together to do RBGs is like that's just like a lot of people. Obviously, yeah. Um, um, and... Especially you get a lot of people with the right role. You know, like melee ranged healers, that kind of stuff. But I think. I think joining an RBG team and, like, going hard on RBGs would actually be super fun. I think I agree. I just don't, like, I don't know if I've got, like, the skills for that, right? Like, you know, I, I'm looking forward to Guilty Gear Strive coming out in June and, like, putting all of my PvP, like, you know, wantingness into that game. So, you know, um, yeah, that type of thing. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, hmm. What else? I didn't do a lot with my week. I played a bunch of Slate Inspire, which you just talked about for an hour. Um, and I, uh, what else did I do? Um, I watched, I watched some, uh, I, I, so, uh, I took a vacation to Providence, Rhode Island over the weekend, uh, which is, wow. yeah, it's, it's a city. Big money. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, uh, so I'm in New Hampshire, so it's not super far away. Um, I went and saw the mansions in Newport, which is like an hour South of Providence, but like, it's a thing apparently they're very nice houses. Um, but uh, in the hotel, I ended up watching some diners, drive-ins, and dives. Uh, oh my God, that's the guy for your show. Right? Yeah, yeah, and apparently we have all decided is great. Yeah, right? uh, he like, is he's great. Not canceled. Yeah, uh, even though we made fun of him for a long time. I mean, he's he's funny looking, but you know, he leaned into it too. Like, if you follow his Instagram, it's just like him posting Guy Fieri memes or whoever runs the social media account posting like Guy Fieri's face put, pasted on top of like whatever the popular meme is that week. Like, I haven't looked recently, but I'm sure they've got like a ever given thing with him it wouldn't surprise me at all or something like that but um it's just like funny to see like that whole like like i was i like you know it, like i just kind of had it on in the background and it went on for like it kept playing right like just over and over and then like occasionally be like this is triple d nation what's triple d nation it's like them 
going back to the places that they went to earlier during Driver Drivers <laughs> and Dives. And, like, half of those episodes are just, you know, are just, like, you know, the the previous... It's, like, you know, half, half of the new segment or of the segment on the show is a replay of the old content. So it's just, like, okay, you know, as... as I have never understood or interacted with, uh, like, food tape, food network kinds of shows like that. But I have watched a couple of episodes of Dinah's Drive-Ins and Dies and found them very compelling, let's be honest. It is, like, BlizzCon 2021. Anthony Bourdain's show. But I think Anthony Bourdain's show is, like, the high-class version of that. Because, you know, like, you know, he talks about, like, I don't know, like, the politics of wherever he is. Like, oh, this is, like, this is Myanmar, and here they use peanut oil, and also, there's a fucking coup. <laughs> like, you know? Like... Oh, yeah. Like, and Dives is like, yeah, and then here they make, like, a sandwich with, like, a big old piece of steak on it. Mmm, it's crunchy great. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's honestly just, like, it's, it is just, like, the, the fantasy of eating the food. Right? Yeah, no, that... absolutely. And it's, you know... <laughs> And you can tell sometimes he's not as in. Apparently, they put a lot of work into making sure he's like going to decent places. But like you know, there's like a place, uh, like uh, forty minutes away from me, that was on the show. It's great, right? Like I love that place. I go, I can take my parents there when they come to visit, right? Like it's you know, it's and, you know, it's not like you know high class, you know, like it's fine dining, right? But it's you know, it's it's good. It's you know, it's it's you know, solid kind of driver's dive. It's exactly what it sounds my, like. Right? My example of that is. Um tanked i want to call it it's a discovery channel show about a las vegas aquarium company um these like guys who make aquariums um and it is it's and it's like a reality show and they get these like what it always is this this is what this is what the show is and i've only watched maybe four episodes but I, i i have a deep understanding of the lore of this show okay what it always is is some famous big money person typically right like a basketball star or like a football player or something comes there and he says hey i want a fucking aquarium and i want it to be this and he describes something that everyone goes that's impossible actually they have really thick new york actually they're like that's impossible we're never gonna be able to put that together <laughs> and then the show is them inevitably figuring out oh well if we curl the fiberglass this way we can make it so that you know whoever this guy's fish do this thing that he wants ho ho we're so smart but it's also like there's three there's like um there's like a grandpa and there's like a dad and then there's like the like the bratty kid and it's like th- like three of them they're all in the family and it's also are you watching pawn dumb. stars yeah, it's, it, no, it is exactly like that. It's exactly like Pawn Stars. It's filled with these, like, dumb hijinks. Like, there's one where the grandpa keeps telling them to, like, eat roadkill, and he improvises a grill out of a... It's like a toilet seat, and he has, like, a... He, like, gets a lizard, and, and, and he grills it in the parking lot. And I'm like... This is so obviously staged and not real. That's not actually fucking roadkill. Like, this is the dumbest shit of all time. But I just found it intensely compelling to watch. Like, I couldn't stop myself. Yeah, no, I mean, I I, I get that. I definitely get that. Um, Like... Oh, man, my dad watches a ton of these these shows too. But I want... I I know, my dad also watches a ton of these uh, these shows. Uh, I need need to find this... um, 
so okay, so I so I, I'm actually like it's not three generations, it's just two. It is Brett Raymer, Wade King, um, Brett's sister Heather, who is married to Wade, so they're brother-in-laws, um, and then their Brett's father who's known as the general <laughs> and there's the general who's the one that like cooked the roadkill or whatever this is the perfect show it is the perfect show for putting on in a hotel room when you just have like 40 minutes to kill before you know oh yeah for dinner so so a number of years ago i went to um i went to edc with uh friends which is a big electronic music concert in vegas um, with, with with a couple of friends of the cast and, like, during, like, the times when we weren't, like, you know, drinking or, like, you know, getting ready to go dance, it's literally overnight. It's in Vegas, so and it's outdoors, yep. so it literally has to be overnight so people don't die. Um, uh, uh, we just had, like, we, we turned on the travel channel, and it was just 20, it was a whole weekend marathon of John Taffer's Bar Rescue, which is just, like, this, like, <laughs> loud, obnoxious guy, like, you know, like, it's, it's like a kitchen nightmares, but for bars, and also, like, like significantly more trashy. And just like you know, for for years the meme was like Don Julio premium tequila because that was very clearly who had sponsored the show. It was always the thing you'd be like, and you know, to make your to class up your drink, we're gonna bring in some Don Julio premium tequila, and like. <laughs> We're, like, watching this all weekend, and, like, the last day, it's, like, and this episode, we go to the Don Julio P- Premium Tequila Distillery. It's, like... It's like <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. That's that's good shit. Um, um, but, so, God. I do want to recommend a YouTube video that I watched uh, about a week ago called Despair on the Jersey Shore by Finch. I'll put it in the description because it's about this, and it's, like, basically a thesis on, like, you know, it's kind of one of these analysis videos, but it's, like, Finch is not a huge a huge channel but it's like a half hour analysis on what like like what makes these reality shows stick and why the jersey shore is much more successful than like a lot of it's kind of brethren um and it's basically about how like you know you're throwing a bunch of people into like a fishbowl and putting a camera at them and you know and they're like highly dysfunctional people in the first place so it's a lot of like schadenfreude and and whatnot it's it's a good watch um i have yeah the other thing i've been watching by the way completely unrelated to this and is very good is The Expanse which I have not watched a lot of I've watched the first nine episodes holy shit that show is great I've heard I need and to like, it's on the list it, it, it is giving me big Game of Thrones vibes um, the thing that's cool about it is it does that Game of Thrones thing where like it is following different characters in different locations who are all like working on the same thing in a, in a sense but they don't know it or whatever and like i just i i that is the structure that made game of thrones really great especially in its early seasons and it's here in the expanse and it's so good and i don't know that i've like felt so like just compelled to continue watching television actually i guess maybe since the boys because i did the, I, I watched the boys this way but the boys i think is is not good you know like the or uh, it, it's fine it's just like it's it's head empty it doesn't have a lot on its mind right um Whereas, like, The Expanse has, like, big stuff going on. <laughs> it's got big thoughts in its brain, uh, which is really which is really sweet and really nice, so... Yeah, I mean, I don't know if this is if this is apocryphal or not, but, like, the, 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 the kind of lore is that The Expanse had two seasons, I believe, on sci-fi, and then Jeff Bezos was like, we need to save The Expanse and put it on Amazon Prime. Um, like, or we need a sci-fi show or something. But, like, the, the legend is that Jeff Bezos liked the expanse so much is that he, he personally intervened to, to, to make sure it got on Amazon Prime. That's uh, amazing. Yeah. I mean, that sh- the show is great. I can't believe more people would talk about it. Man, like, 
people, you know, people going apeshit for like WandaVision. And I'm just like, boy, let's talk about the Expanse, please. Have, have, it's like nowhere on my Twitter, it feels like. Uh, speaking of uh, Marvel shows, have you watched any of The Winter Soldier yet? No. <laughs> I, I do or want to. Falcon and The Winter Soldier. Yeah, neither have I. I think uh, I'm probably going to binge it at the end or something. I don't know. Yeah, I will maybe we'll probably do an episode on it, the, right? You know, the funny thing is, I had I had this specific thought because I was sitting there. So, so I was playing Gears Tactics, which I also didn't talk about. Gears Tactics is fun, and it's fun in the same way that XCOM is. So, like, I get to just sort of turn my brain off a little bit, and I'm watching something on my other screen. Um, and I was just like mindlessly scrolling, and I had started watching a couple things, right? Like, I watched Silicon Valley. I watched like five seasons of Silicon Valley, but that show just kind of became like anxiety inducing in a way because just like i don't know i got i got weirdly invested in like the characters and the drama and so like things always in that show are about how like terrible everything always goes and that's like funny but like when i'm relating too closely to the characters that feels like oh, no or whatever and i just like couldn't take it anymore i did i just didn't want i didn't want that drama in my life i wanted something easier and lighter to go on i guess and then i started watching for some reason fucking band of brothers I was, like, I was saying, like, wider. Like, you mentioned the expanse, now you're telling me Band of Brothers, and you're like, oh, something yeah. wider. I know, I know. Uh, and then, and to, and to be honest, the Band, Band of Brothers kind of sucks, I think, which sucks because I, I like. I know the story, like, the story of Easy Company is, like, famous to a certain extent. Like, I understand the the, the core premise, I guess I would say, of, like, um, of like the Band of Brothers story, right? Because Easy Company are these paratroopers who. Uh, are essentially playing through the very back half of World War II, going kind of like town to town, and and I'm pretty sure the way this was shot was with, um, with, um, uh, what's that? Saving, Saving Private Ryan, right? Mm. So it's like very much in that vein. Came out right around that time. It launched the careers for a lot of good people. Oh, by the way, tanked the Sea Biscuit of Television. That's a great, great reference, and absolutely true. And that Sea Biscuit is the movie you put on in the hotel room to watch for two hours while you're waiting for whatever, you know, like, you find that on HBO Z or something. But anyway, um, and, uh, but it's just, I I just don't think that the storytelling mode of long-form serialized, like, miniseries, in the same way that we would think of, like, Chernobyl, um, or something like that, that would come out, like, nowadays. Um, Chernobyl also, by the way, I watched the entire thing when I was seeking something to lower my anxiety for, for watching Silicon Valley. <laughs> what a world we live in. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so there's just like a lot of like meandering bullshit in Band of Brothers. It's like terrible and bad and slow. And like the action scenes are shot incoherently in a way that I find like impossible to keep up with the geography of what's going on like because they're caught co- everyone's constantly yelling there's like guns and everything there and there's Isn't like that but the they're point? also no, no that is the point but they're also giving like tactical information right so if you want to in i guess maybe i'm just approaching this in the wrong way like so for instance um in the world war ii movie fury directed by david Iyer of award-winning suicide this is the tank fame. one it's the tank one that movie is really great because it's very centered on the tank and you, you, there's a lot of shelling and blowing up and everything, but like the, it's almost like the sound drops out a little bit. And I'm sure this is true in the mix, so that you can hear like the kind of tactical decisions that are getting made at any time, right? Like there's one part where their tank is going up against three other tanks, 
They're fighting. They 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 first are fighting two tanks, and then they realize that they're about to go into an ambush on a third tank. And it's incredibly well done, such that like I'm following the action, just like point by point, decision by decision in a really clear way. Band of Brothers is like the opposite of that. It is horrendously unclear what anything is going on at any time. And to be honest, there's a lot of friendly fire, so maybe that's the point. Um, like there's a part where a dude just fucking bayonets another guy in Easy Company. And I was just like, holy shit. And the funny part, they play that like a joke. They're like, ha, ha, ha. Myers is so dumb. I don't know if it was Myers. Myers is so dumb, he fucking bayoneted this other guy because he thought he was a, you know, he was like wearing a raincoat, rain so he looked like uh, he looked like a Nazi because they have like a longer coat than the GIs did. But anyway, so then I was watching Band of Brothers, and then I started watching The Expanse. We're just, we're just, we're just going right down the line of weird, weirdly not anxiety-inducing shows, Silicon Valley, the sitcom, tremendously anxiety-inducing for me. Yeah, no, I, I watched uh, Band of Brothers and the, um, I forget what the name of it is, but there's one set in the South Pacific that's kind of like the companion show. Oh, yeah, the, the Pacific. Yeah, the Pacific, yeah. yeah. Um, I, watched it, I watched it in college, actually, with a friend of the cast, Barry. I also think I watched Fury yeah, with yeah, him. Yeah, see, this yeah. is the other thing. Barry always told me to watch Band of Brothers. It's like his favorite thing. Yeah, no, I... I, I bet if I had watched it 10 years ago, I would have liked it more. Yeah, I... Because I think TV has grown up a lot since then. I, I really enjoyed it. It's just, you know, it's been forever, so I can't even tell you how much I remember it, so... Uh, but yeah. Yeah, this is just like, uh, this is just like mining the depths of TV history, basically. Mm. Um, you know. But, uh, yeah, man, I watched the... I, you know what it is? It really is the thing, the thing about it that, that makes weirdly Chernobyl not anxiety inducing comparatively is that it's sort of competency porn right like people talk about this sort of it's, the Martian is also this where it's like it's not really antagonist there's no bad guy it's just like dire circumstances right but people are thinking like they're they're constantly like kind of thinking their way out of this and coming up with clever solutions and that is most of what Chernobyl is even if there are some parts that just like you know fuck with my brain like those two guys that looked at the reactor and then died because they just looked at the reactor. <laughs> uh, but we're, we're we're over time, so I, I think we should probably yeah. wrap it up. If you'd like to uh, uh, tell us what you thought about any things we talked about on this show, um, you can email us at sadosplaygames.gmail.com or podcast at sadosplaygames.com. Follow us on twitch.tv slash sadosplaygames. Please go out live. You'd be watching us now and saying champ at us like front of the cast, hyper-indexed. Um <laughs> Uh, you can uh, follow us on YouTube where these get uploaded eventually if I remember to do them. Um, and we are on SoundCloud and all the other places that podcasts are, and those go up much more quickly after this does than the YouTube video does usually. Sometimes the YouTube video goes up quickly if I can remember to do it. But uh, uh, I think that's everything I had. But do you have anything else you're looking to promote? I have nothing else I'm looking... Oh, actually, I will be playing But It Gets Good this Friday on a game that I can't announce yet, actually, but it's a very cool game, and I'm super excited to talk Ooh. about it. It's not, like, a huge thing, but... Um... Is, is it a game? It's, it's going to be neat. Is it an unreleased? Can you even tell? Is it an unreleased game? Or you're just like not allowed to say what game it is? Or you're not allowed to say anything about it? You'll figure it out tomorrow. Okay. Pay attention. Pay attention to the Aquapara feed tomorrow and, you, and, you'll, and you'll see what's that. This is not like a huge, this is not like a huge thing, but it is a very cool thing. And, uh, and I'm glad that I get to do it because this kind of thing is sweet. These are, these are like the perks. These are like the perks of my job. Um, all right. So, yeah. yeah. Well, we'll see that then tomorrow. And uh, until then, uh, ne until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.